Hello and welcome to episode 129 of the Pen Addict podcast on Relay FM. This week's episode of the Pen Addict is brought to you by Lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts. For a 10-day free trial, visit Lynda.com slash Pen Addict, Hover, Simplified Domain Management, and our friends over at Karis Customs, who make awesome pens. We love them. And you're going to hear about them today, I think. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by the pen addict himself, Mr. Brad Dowdy. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Very good, sir. How are you? Good, good. And we're joined by Mr. Karis Customs today, too, right? I think. I think so. Knock, knock. Dan Bishop, are you there? I am here. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Dan. Thanks, Captain. Yes, yes. And for, for those who don't know, who may be first-time listeners or just picking up this podcast randomly, Dan Bishop works for our favorite uh pin shop in the world, uh, Karis Customs, uh, making all kinds of great pins and awesome Kickstarter projects. And that's what we are having Dan on today to talk about is a lot of Kickstarter-y goodness because uh, Dan and I, Dan has been super helpful when we did the not Kickstarter and Dan's a Kickstarter pro. So he and I had been talking for a while behind the scenes and we wanted to get on an episode of the podcast and just talk about uh, Kickstarter things, especially for uh, all of us stationary freaks that are uh, spending all our money through uh, Amazon payments and backing all these crazy Kickstarter projects. So we appreciate you coming on and talking about that. No problem. My pleasure. And yeah, as we, we mentioned last week, but Dan's got a currently has another Kickstarter project going right now, so it kind of works out, I think. Yes, exactly, <clears throat> and we're uh, we will definitely be talking about that um, because I have one on my desk. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it. Yeah, we're, we're let's save that. Okay, I, I need to stop because I will continue on on that path, and we'll never uh, we'll never uh, get to some of the news and notes we need to get through real quick. Michael, a few things I just wanted to mention, um, which we always do on around these parts, is when a new field notes edition launches, uh, we got to talk about it. So, what do you think about the ambition edition, Mike? I don't have mine yet. Yep, me neither. I, think, I actually think they may have arrived today, but um, I'm still, okay. I'm still, I haven't picked them up. Um, I am very interested. I have not yet bought any more of them, which is something that I think every colors edition that I've ever had, I've always bought more than my subscription, mm-hmm. but I've not done that yet because I don't know if I will want more of these. I, I'm very interested. I love, I love that they have gone with a, a, a few different paper styles inside, like layouts. Mm-hmm. So for anybody that doesn't know, the current Ambition Edition, it features a three-pack. Um, they're in different colors. They're like in a an olive green, a gold. It's like a gold and a brown. No, it's like, a, a, like uh, an olive green, a check of a, a sort of cherry like a red. Wi- and a, like a wine brown. red, yeah. Yeah. And they have, what do they have? There's one, it's a standard... Um, so it's a graph, grid. yeah, a grid, a ledger ruling, and then a planner ruling. So, so one of each book has each three pack has three different rulings, if you will. Yep, and I think my favorite touch in this is they've gilded the edges, which is mm-hmm. like that gold. You, know, you see, like a you see like those old school planners, and they have that gold around the outside. Mm-hmm. I think that looks super sweet. I, I love the way that looks. I think that's an, a nice touch. It's very sort of old school, which these are. They're very old school. So I'm waiting to get mine in. 
I don't know if I'll be ordering anymore, but I am. I I appreciate these ones because they've not they've done something bold and different without going crazy. You know, mm-hmm. making them like out of stone or something. Right. Um. Oh yeah, please don't make stone paper. Yeah, we've, uh, we've experienced notes. that, and it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> I told you right that well, I did say this, but I mentioned before there are these there is notebooks. I can't, what's the name of them, Brad? That have the stone paper in them. Ogami. So, Ogami. God, look at that. You're like an encyclopedia. Um, <laughs> I remember somebody, a listener, a listener. Sent I'm an encyclopedia me. of wrong most of the time. Hey, well, it's it's still an encyclopedia, and the paper is made from this kind of stone. I can't explain it, but when I use them, they, for some reason that I will never explain, they made me feel physically sick to use. <laughs> There was just something about using this paper, the way the paper felt when you when you used it. I don't know. Yeah. It just had this feeling that made me feel... It's kind of squishy, weird feeling. It's like, I don't know. It was kind of like creaky. I don't know. I can't explain it, but it was super weird and I didn't enjoy it. Uh, so, I, yeah, please don't ever make those. But, Brad, tell me what you think because you haven't given any, any yeah, thoughts. Yeah, I might have not arrived yet either. Um, I, I like it. I mean, I like the different... Um, um layouts i'm not a fan of the gilding but i've i said i think on twitter or somewhere that i think those are gonna the gilding's actually gonna look much better when it's destroyed um oh yeah that looks sweet when it'll look gets worn and stuff so i'm i'm like one or two pages from my last unexposed edition finished up so i'll go straight into using one of these and i'm anxious to see how it does but i think in general i like it fine i'm interested to see they switched up the paper and went with the cougar 50 pound um, I'm interested to see how the Cougar performs um, with different pins. But uh, otherwise, I love ledger ruling um, just for lists. That's one of my favorite uh, rulings. They did that in the Traveling Salesman edition. Um, I never like the ledger. I don't. I don't like ledger. But maybe, maybe I, hmm, I should try it for lists because for note yeah. paper, it's terrible. Ledger. Sure, sure, sure. So I think in general, I'm going to like this edition. I don't know if I'm going to love this edition, but it's certainly going to be fine. And and I said before on that, I mean, this is like the ultimate gift edition. I mean, there's no, the, I mean, it's obviously, I mean, it's, it's pinpointed right at the holidays. I mean, these are going to do like super, super well for them, I think, because they, they look beautiful. Um, Still to this day, we're, we're gonna have to get Brian back on next year, Brian Bedell from Field Notes, because and this is stuff that he won't talk about, I'm sure, but I'm just dumbfounded that they're able to keep the price the same. You know, he might talk about that. Yeah, let's get him on, talk about the, the edition since we last spoke to him because they, that was they, fascinating last time. These guys put so much into each edition, and, and you know, they're at the they're at the the point now where they're the the quantities of scale are certainly in their favor, right? Or the what are the economics of scale? Um, so it's just impressive what they do. I, I, I I'm very impressed by this edition, and I'm anxious to get it in hand. Um, Dan, out of all the all the years I've known you, I don't think we've ever talked about like a pocket notebook directly like you and I. Do you use anything like a pocket notebook, field notes notebook, memo book? Do you carry around anything or or what? Um uh, on a daily basis, not so much. Uh, I I have a th- I have a few things I carry in my pockets, but it's very minimal. Uh most of the time, like in fact right now I have a piece of standard paper folded in half that I mm-hmm. doodle and draw on. And I accumulate those. 
Gotcha. But uh, I love notebooks, but my problem is I collect them and don't use them. <laughs> and so there's like two or three pages. And I think it stems from my art background where you buy a, a notebook or a sketchbook and they're like $20. And as a student, you're broke. And so you don't want to draw anything in it but perfection. And so you end up just not using it, which is good for the paper companies, but bad for me. <laughs> Totally. I, yeah, I, I can, I can, uh, relate to that. And I finally, uh, broke that barrier, you know, last year and, and just started using everything regardless. So, uh, yeah, I, I can understand that. So no. I'm, I'm not going through field notes books as quickly as before now, mm-hmm. because now I'm not keeping note paper notes as much because, uh, of leaving the day job. Mm-hmm. So just, just an interesting point. Maybe I need to try and find new things to keep uh to keep notes on but like i, I oh, take yeah, notes so. of like calls and stuff like but i only really have like one or two of those a week yeah um, i'm not really doing enough now to to, to keep of like that sort of stuff that requires note taking i think you'll figure it out i mean yeah. i've gone from not taking many notes to just kind of writing down everything just even if it, even if I'm sitting on a call or you know a podcast with a couple other jokers, have it sitting aside when I'm not paying attention, just doodling in it or something like that. I do that when I am paying attention, of course. But I, like, <laughs> I'm I'm taking notes right now about the edit for the show. Um, mm-hmm. But I oh, that's use a, that's a lot. I know I use the arts and sciences for that. That the, yeah. the the big size is really useful for that sort of stuff because usually I'm like grabbing the pen and I'm barely looking and I'm like writing a timestamp down or something right and I'm yeah. trying to do that because I've done that for ages I like that um, but for the uh, that doesn't really work for me with a smaller one with smaller books yeah. so after I run out of arts and sciences I'll probably just start getting the steno pads or something yeah those are good. That arts and science is a really under underrated edition. It's if I feel like it just kind of vanished into the ether. I wish they would make a standard notebook this size. Mm-hmm. So, it, with, so. the, with the choice, choices that they've made recently about the new standard notebooks to add into the rotation, I'm really surprised they've not put this in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree. Exactly. I think that well, would be great. I, I would love that as a stock edition. So, Brad, I think I'm a liar. Um, I do use uh, Doan uh, paper, the the five by seven spiral bound or the spiral yeah. bound. I have yeah. one of those on my desk at work, and it's like my turns into my work bible. Kind of, I have all the notes from projects and and you know meetings that we have and everything in there. But I tend to try to write small because it's the you know the the pattern, the grid pattern in it. It's tiny, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, whereas you know. Bill uses them, and he he writes like three words per page. He's, <laughs> he writes super gigantic, and um, so that that's one thing I do use. But I still have this thing about conserving the notebook, so I write as much as possible on every page. Well, those are really those are really good notebooks. I I think just in general, like the five by seven or A five ballpark range is my favorite size and that's what those steno books and 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 uh wire bound pads come in and that's that's the perfect size for desk and even portability throw it in a bag carry it around with you yeah right it's, if it's only perfect. there was a company that made covers that could make something for a five by seven hmm. 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 working on that <laughs> working on that we'll have to we'll have to figure something out but yes that's yeah that's a whole nother episode but that's like so high at the priority list right now. Um, so yeah, 2015 is going to be, be a big year, hopefully around the, the knocked them. 
The noctum. <laughs> wow. So before we get we get uh, two off the rails on on field notes, I have more field notes to talk about. So you saw the uh, the DDC pop up shop, Mike. You saw the special field notes that they made for the uh, pop up shop. Yeah, what is that about? So I, it's just something uh, Aaron Drappen was doing in Portland locally to, um, I guess, for the holiday season, just to have a physical store for his DDC merchandise. Um, you know, like I've ordered it on. You can order it, order it online and, and do all that stuff. Um, but he's just has a physical place where you can walk into. And he created a special Field Notes edition that sent the uh, all the Field Nuts like in a tizzy. And um, it looks it looks really good. I, I love that orange and gray look and you know it's a limited edition three pack 1753 packs and they're all numbered and on the belly band but i, th- I think it looks good i but, love um, the colors yeah are they going to be available like to buy online in one of his many many threads somewhere he said yes so we'll see i might have you hooked up regardless though yes <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. I was I was just scrolling through my Rolodex to to for who I know that lives in Portland to mm-hmm. ask, but now maybe I don't need to do that. Yeah. Wait, you just do, may you, ha- you still have you a physical have Rolodex? In my mind. Oh, I was I'm sad now. I was <laughs> hoping you had a. I could see you, you know, rolling your fingers through a giant Rolodex, and I was really excited about that. <laughs> but physical Rolodexes are awesome. They are. I mean, that's a that's just one of those cool looking things that uh, you never ever ever see anymore. So the last the last bit last bit on the field notes slant. We did our uh, our fiend notes. Uh. Oh no, I got two two things to talk about like wow, that. Okay. So we're gonna do our fiend notes winner from last episode. And you know, if if you haven't checked it out, go back and listen to last week's episode. We had a, a listener, Ben Quack, who is an amazing artist, make us some um, special edition fiend notes. And Dan, you probably saw his handiwork at uh, from Mister Mike Dudek. He made him a special Rotring edition, didn't he? Did you see that one? Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, so Dudek has one as well. But our fiend notes winner is Jennifer, and she said her favorite Mike quote is, "I bought a banana." Yeah, better pen. I forget what episode that was from, but I remember that. I remember you saying that. I have no idea. I saw this in the doc and I was like, I, I literally cannot remember at all what this is about. It was recent. It was like in the last few episodes, but I can't remember what it was around. So, Jennifer, I will be emailing you since there's probably maybe multiple Jennifers that listen. I have your email address, so um, I will get in touch with you directly and I will arrange shipment. And uh, Congratulations, before, Jennifer. Congratulations, Jennifer. You are you will be uh, the proud recipient of a one of one edition fiend notes edition, uh, which is pretty cool. Making it even more special than ours. Yep. And for everyone else who did not win, um, one of our listeners and certified field nuts. Oh, is this Adam Webb? I'm gonna I butchered them. I made so many name mistakes last week, but um, he has a giveaway called he has a Tumblr blog called Field Notes in the Field. And he's given away singles of three like really rare editions. He's given away one of the glitch singles from XOXO, one of the Cole USA singles, and one of the Sorta Jade singles, which was last year's uh, DDC uh, memo book. So we'll have a link in the show notes. Um, he asked me to pass that along, and I was glad to oblige because this is a really um, 
good opportunity to get a few notebooks that you just can't get very easily. So that is Adam Webb, by the way. Yes. Good. Okay. Thanks, Adam, for sending me that. And thanks for doing that giveaway. And we will put it in the show notes for you. All right, Michael. So let's uh, let's talk about uh, someone we love so dearly here at the Pen Attic Podcast. And we got a few more things before we dig into this Kickstarter mess that Dan has created. <laughs> I'm very happy that Lynda.com is sponsoring this week's episode of The Pen Addict. They are an easy and affordable way to help individuals and organizations learn. With Lynda.com, you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on software, web development, graphic design, any type of design, and so much more. Lynda.com have fantastic video tutorials that are produced with high quality standards. These videos are made by absolute experts. They're made by people that have been involved with software products or they're absolute experts in the field in which they're teaching you about. All of their courses are broken down into bite-sized pieces so you can learn at your own pace from start to finish, backwards, forwards, up, down, left, right, however you want, or you can just jump in and find a quick answer to a question that you've had. That you know to help you get something amazing done. You can also learn on the go as well. So let's say you're on the bus and you want to find out a little bit more about dynamic range compression in Logic Pro 10. If you want to do that, you can just pull out your iPhone and get onto the Linda app. They have apps for iPhone, iPad, and Android, and you can watch right there. Whether you're a beginner or advanced, Linda.com has courses for all experience levels on all different types of topics. So let's say that you want to learn a little bit more about how to work better. So you want to be a bit more productive. They have courses on time management training. Um, they have courses about productivity. One, one in particular is the Getting Things Done course, which is presented by David Allen, the creator of the Getting Things Done productivity system. So that's a really cool one. And maybe one for, for pen addicts. I found a typography course recently. It's a really interesting course about the fundamentals of typography and how they affect design. And it shows how spacing and alignment can affect what you're doing and the way that something looks, as well as learning exactly what kerning is, which I, I found quite interesting. So if that's something that, that tickles your fancy, then you should be trying it out. Lynda.com has one low monthly price of $25. This gives you unlimited access to over 100,000 video tutorials and it's growing every day. But if for some reason you haven't tried out Lynda, they want to, to make sure that they give you a great deal so you can, can get, really get a feel for it yourself. So if you go to lynda.com slash penaddict, that's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash penaddict, they're going to give a special extended 10-day free trial to listeners of the penaddicts. You should go and check it out. Just go to L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash penaddict. If you haven't tried them already, we'd really appreciate it if you did. So go give them a shot and I think you're going to love it. Thank you so much to Linda for their continued support of this show. Yeah, that 10-day free trial is is a huge no-brainer. And yeah. you you got to check it out. And certainly now now in your new gig, Michael, um where you're doing this full-time, certainly you uh you can find plenty of videos to help you uh through your day and and learn new things yep. and expand that knowledge in your brain. I'm looking forward to digging in. I'm going to I'm going to learn a lot more about podcast editing and and all that sort of stuff. So, they even have oh, a Lord. course on touch typing. I don't know how to touch type. Um, mm. So that's something that, that I'm interested in learning a bit about. Um, and they do a lot of uh, programming yeah, um, they do. tutorials, they do. which you're going to need to understand this next link that okay. we have in the show notes. <laughs> this is kind of going to stand on its own because there's no way I can explain this. But um, 
big uh, fanatic. I don't even know if he listens to the pod podcast. Um, but uh, Emra, who I follow on Twitter and oh, I follow on Instagram mostly. Oh, I was his, sent this, and I didn't. I have no. <laughs> I just his don't. hand. Yeah, you can follow his Instagram feed. He's got amazing fountain pen collection, and his handwriting is off the charts. But what he did, I think he's um, he's into programming, let's say, <laughs> and he has written a program. I guess we'll go with to rip out information from Instagram tags. And how many, you know, basically, you know, he's pulling down how many fountain pens are tagged by the brand name. And it's if you're into programming and that kind of stuff and into information, this is a really good post. So I want to make sure to put it in the show notes because it's really kind of neat. Um, if you can get around, he goes into this is like really, really detailed and uh, and gets involved into it. I told uh, Thomas Hall sent me this link. I said, I'm a lot more simple than this. I just use IFTTT to send hashtags into a private Tumblr blog. <laughs> and that works for me so I can see different things. But Imra's um, um, post here is is definitely worth uh, worth checking it out. It's, it's really crazy. There's um, some really interesting stuff, isn't there? Like how he breaks it down and like Aurora, Mont Blanc and Parker are the highest by far. And mm-hmm. then he pulls them out and then you see the different graph and it yeah. looks more representative of the fountain pen pen addict world. It's it's interesting how there are lots of people using fountain pens that we wouldn't necessarily think of as, as pen addict pens. But Yeah, the Aurora one shocked me. I can't but I still can't believe that that is that high. Because my understanding is they are actually really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For but sure. I mean it's a it big d- brand. It doesn't make sense because those two but things don't necessarily go together. The fact that it's they're really good and they're a relatively big brand and they've got like six hundred thousand mentions on Yeah, it's it's, it's almost Mont Blanc is third and it's almost triple Mont Blanc. That's how crazy Aurora is. Yeah, that that's something that shocked me because I don't I don't fully understand that, but mm-hmm. like and and Parker being so much higher as well. I feel like people why would you really take a picture of a Parker pen, but I guess a lot of people do. Yeah, they they've just they're so uh so widely available, so and they're they're still uh, known. But this it's it's really really good in- information and interesting. I've read this at least like two or three times, um, just trying to figure out new things. And he also um he also world maps them so you can see where they're coming from too. So it's a really cool post, and we'll we will have that in the show notes for you. Um, I got a reader email I wanted to read um, because I've mentioned him in passing, maybe on accident even, uh, Father Michael Gossett, who's been, as far as I can remember, always been around, at least reading the blog or on Twitter, talking to me on Twitter and, and listening to the podcast. And he sent up a, sent a really, really good email and I asked him if I could share this on the podcast. And he said, absolutely. So let me share this real quick. He emails and says, I just wanted to share an experience I had last Friday. After listening to the podcast for a while now, purchasing lots of pens, inks, and paper products, I got the chance to attend the Ohio Pen Show. This was my first pen show and my first chance to interact with other pen fans. Everything I learned via the podcast and your blog came in handy as I recognized brands and models. I got the chance to meet and talk to Brian Gray of Edison and buy some good stuff off of the Andersons. Everyone I met there was super friendly. Everyone was willing to answer questions. And as a priest, I got lots of funny comments. 
the guy manning the Franklin Kristoff display where I picked up the beautiful Model 40 Pocket told me about some old Esterbrook that, besides being a fountain pen, held holy water in the top. Now I'll need to search for that. I also picked up... <laughs> That's pretty amazing. It says, I also picked up my first vintage pen, a cheap Esterbrook that is a great writer, and a gift for my sister who volunteered to come with me, the Retro 51 Montana, what the woman at the table called the ugly sweater pen. Mike, you have to own this pen. You need to go look at that. Anyway, I just wanted to express my thanks to you and Mike for introducing me to this fantastic hobby addiction. It was awesome to experience the pen community in person, and I plan on going again in the future. Keep up the good work. Fun fact. Yes. That pen arrived this week. Get out. Seriously, I bought it. Somebody sent me it on on Twitter, and I was like, how can I not buy it? So I have it, and I love it. It's amazing. It's I really love cool. it. It, it, it is, this is you. fantastic. This pen is you. That's amazing. So I, I wanted to share that email for a couple of reasons. One, um, you know, uh, Father Gossett just, you know, he's gone down that path that a bunch of us have in me and Mike have starting this show, you know, from the beginning of the show until where we are now. And, you know, it's going to continue to grow just learning about all these things that are out there and then realizing that there's this whole community of people out there that are super nice and super helpful and just willing to jump in and answer questions and help you out in any way they can. And I'm glad he had a great experience at the show and I hope he goes again. And I hope all of you out there, if there's a pin show or a pin shop in your local communities, you know, pay them a visit, talk to them. They're happy to talk about, um, you know, all the different pens help you out in any way they can. You know, we've, we've said it many times uh, before and we'll say it uh, until the cows come home, but this is like one of the best communities to be involved in um, that I can think of as, as far as the people go. It's, it's really, really amazing. I think that like, I I'm, 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 I have my, my feet in different communities these days, you know, mm -hmm. as, as I kind of the, the work that I do spans different genres and, and stuff like that. And the pen community is the best one by far. Everyone is so nice to each other. And like even in like amongst the creative people, there's no competition. Like everyone's trying to help each other out and because there isn't this isn't meant in a bad way, but there's not a lot of money in it. So people are kind of it seems like more willing to to link to each other and, and help each other out and the collaborations and then it gets into physical products as well so mm. many people create physical products you know and we're going to talk about these and that's really interesting to me because a blogger about apple stuff can't just go make a computer right you know or even peripherals like they just make books right and videos right but but you guys you go out and you actually make products right you make stuff dudek makes stuff and you sort of team up with like the Caris customs guys and make things together and i just think that's so fantastic and it's such a great little community to be a part of and it's nice to be able to like read something from someone and then buy a physical product of theirs to support them it's uh, and there's a lot of that there's a lot of like supporting and helping and yeah, it's, a, it's a great little community i'm happy that it's a I'm part of it it's definitely a it's a really unique environment to be part of. Dan, did you ever think you would be making pens and talking about pens? I mean, you don't go in and on other like uh, car parts podcasts and and talk about them because that's what y'all really started <laughs> as at Karis Customs, right? Well, yes and no. Um, I didn't think pens were going to be a big thing, and like we said, we can talk about that a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. It's funny, but. We we just kind of were a job shop, you know. Somebody would just come in off the street and say, "Hey, can you guys make this?" and 
we said, yeah, we want to eat. So yeah, we'll make that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, fast forward, you know, we just happened to fall in with uh, a great community. Like Mike said, everybody in the pen community, it's, it's kind of amazing. The, the people who support us and they collect our pens and, you know, they post on them on Instagram and all this stuff. It's just, it's kind of dumbfounding. I just, I'm still kind of slack jawed about it. I just sit there in awe and it's awesome because I get to interact with people like you and, and all the fans of the show. It's, it's really great. Yeah. It, it's awesome. It, it's really, really fun. I mean, it makes, uh, it makes the day brighter for me and it's something I enjoy being involved in. And I know, uh, Mike feels the same way. So, yeah. So we need to get, into this, Dan. We need to get in this Kickstarter stuff. I got a couple more things to to knock out real quick. One is the pin blog of the week, and that is Inkdependence. Uh, Mr. Michael Madison, a Southerner like myself, he is from North Carolina. And if you're wondering about inks and ink reviews and want to see inks in person and pictures and reviewed on the blog, Mike is the guy to go to. You go to his blog and it is just chock full of ink reviews. He does a really good job. You know, I've I check them out all the time. I've bought inks just because I've seen them on here and realized that it's a good color. And, you know, I won't say he's known for his ink reviews because he does pen reviews, too. But he has a huge, huge resource of ink reviews. So definitely check out inkdependence.com if you have not already. All right, Mike. Let's talk to Dan, but let's talk about uh, another really, really good friend of ours before we get into it. This episode of The Pen Addict is also brought to you by Hover.com. Quite simply, Hover is the best and, in my opinion, the only place that you should be buying and managing your domain names. It has been my place of choice for many years when I come to buy a domain, and I know Brad's the same. It's the first place I think of and the only website I go to. Hover has all of the top-level domain selections that you're going to look for. So if you want .com, .co, .me, .net, you're going to get it. And if you want some of the crazy new domains like .plumbing, .coffee, I saw .gent is available today. So you could be like dowdy.gent, which I think would work quite nicely. You can buy all of those. And they have really great pricing as well. For example, .com domains are $12.99 and they include who is privacy for free too. This basically means that all of your information is going to remain private. Domain registrars require who is privacy to be enabled so that make sure that they can they are then given the ability to keep your private information private. Many domain registrars will charge you for this. With Hover, it's absolutely free because they believe that your private information should be private. When I'm buying domains, I don't want to be faced with a thousand screens, a ton of add-ons, and loads of bolt-ons at high prices. I just want to get in, select what I need, buy it, and get on with building my new idea, my new project. And that's what Hover does. They keep things nice, clean, and simple for you. They have a no-hold, no-wait, no-transfer telephone support policy. If you call them, you're going to talk to a fantastic person. They're famous for this, and there's a good reason why. They also have great email support too. And don't forget Hover's valet service, where they take all of the hassle out of switching from your current provider for you because they do it all for you. And this is for free, whether you have 10 domains or 200. So go right now to hover.com and try them out. You want to use the code REFILL at checkout as R-E-F-I-L-L to get 10% off your first purchase at hover.com and show your support for the Pen Addict Podcast and Relay FM. Thank you so much to Hover for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. That's a great coupon code, REFILL. I like that. Refill. 
Mm-hmm. I think I bought a bought another domain last week. And, oh yeah, uh, they all they all go to Hover now. So mm. Hover Hover is like easy mode, and it's super high quality and just easy to use. I, I've been very impressed with uh, everything about Hover so far. So, um, and I say it better than Casey List does. So we all say it better than those guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, kids. Dan, you have your oxygen tank ready? Yeah, I'm just uh, just breathing it in, getting ready, right. getting prepped. So we brought Dan on today, not necessarily to talk about specific products, although we will talk plenty about specific products um, as we go. But we wanted Dan, both Dan and I wanted to do a kind of Kickstarter behind the scenes episode, like what goes on from a creator's perspective, um, you know, what, uh, what's happening, you know, with the, the whole build out of the Kickstarter, the whole expectations, the whole customer facing side. So I don't know anyone that knows that stuff better than Dan. Dan helped me a lot and Jeff a lot when we were launching our not Kickstarter and Dan, I didn't realize this youth Karis has done seven Kickstarters so far. Yes, two of them will not be talked about. Two of them will not be talked about. <laughs> but, For no specific reason. They well, just, you know, we just actually, don't want to talk about them today. <laughs> no, actually, I think it's very telling, and we will talk about them, because out of your seven um, out of your seven Kickstarter projects, the two that did not fund were not pen-related. And I find that yeah. super, super interesting. Yes, yes. So all five of your funded projects are all pen related so just uh, let's let's start at the beginning i don't want to get ahead of myself the the render k was the first pen that y'all did in the first kickstarter project you did H- how did you even consider going to kickstarter with this pen um just right out the gate you know what what made you even consider doing this um i okay i love that pen that is i think my favorite design that i've done so far me too. Um, and so early, early on, I would, I could be wrong, but I think the first, at least the first very successful pen on, on Kickstarter was the pen type A. Mm-hmm. And when I saw uh, Kickstarter, I, I started going through Kickstarter once in a while, just kind of looking for stuff. Um, and I saw this pen on there. And it was a machined object, and I, I said, "What? Uh, what?" It was like two hundred eighty-one thousand dollars. And mm-hmm. so, I, on my own, um, had found it. So at work, I showed Bill, you know, as it was getting higher and higher, and he's like, "Why should I care about pens?" You know, mm-hmm. and so on my own at at home, I designed most of the render K, and then I brought it in and said, "Hey, look, I designed this pen." around this and showed him that, you know, they had, you know, an insane amount of money uh, pledged to their project. So we prototyped the, uh, the pen and, and went from there and the rest is history. So it's, I, I, I might still be working, you know, in the shop with machines if and not designing all the time, if uh, Kickstarter wasn't around. So, so what did, what did you expect when you launched that pen? I mean, did you have any idea that did you 
do you think, oh, we're going to throw this out there? Maybe it gets funded. I mean, ha, ha, what were your feelings when you when you push push the launch button to to get the the render K out there? Sheer terror. No, <laughs> uh, you know, it's pretty nerve wracking, as as you you probably know, you you really have no idea. And that was our first project. And I designed the pen. I talked Bill into making some prototypes. You know, I, I storyboarded the video and I was in the video. Uh, it was pretty much kind of me trying to prove myself. But at the same time, it would mean better things for the company. Mm. And it was... It was crazy. Like we couldn't believe it. I think our goal was or it was fairly low, and it just kept creeping higher and higher and higher. And every single day, I mean, we were like constantly checking. I mean, I was refreshing <laughs> the page over and over and over every day. And I'd wake up in the morning on my phone and check it and check it. And it's it's an amazing feeling, um, but at the same time, it's terrifying because when you're done, you're you then realize, oh no. I have all of these people's money and <laughs> I have to make a lot of pens. <laughs> yeah, that's uh that will keep you up at night. Um I I know that well. <laughs> so you know, when you're doing these kickstarters and now that you've got uh, you're a pro now, what kind of running theme through all your successful projects? What's what are some of the keys to like launch a, a successful Kickstarter? What have you noticed? What did you learn from that very first render K when all the way up to the cube that's uh, active now? You know, what what are the things that are kind of tie all those together? You're always doing the same thing in these projects. And what did you learn early on that you shouldn't do? Um, I think it's important to have an audience for yours. Uh, specifically, pens have kind of gained a a wide audience on on Kickstarter, people are looking for them, and there's a few companies that uh, have used Kickstarter successfully, and um, we all know them pretty well. You know, there's a lot of machine pens and things, but you you have to you have to use Kickstarter as a, a market specific tool. You can't throw just anything on there as you know as we have proven ourselves and expect it to fund, you know, awesomely. It, it's not an automatic thing. It's not, you know, write your own lottery ticket kind of thing. And so Kickstarter is, it has a, a very specific and sometimes fickle audience that if you can cater to them, will treat you very well. Now, do you have, um, out of the, uh, out of your successful projects and we're talking about, the render K, the retract, the bolt, the ink, and now the cube. Did I get that right? Yeah. Well, Which has I, been the cube's not done yet. It's it's funded, no, but it's not complete no. yet. Which one of those has been the biggest bear to complete the project? Have you had like any like super difficulties with any one particular thing? <laughs> um well, it's almost a tie. Uh, those who have backed us and those who haven't, you can go on Kickstarter um, and read all our updates, which is something we should talk about a little bit later yes. too, is the updates. Um, what happened is when we made the retract, we made them and we, we started shipping them out. 
and we discovered a slight issue. And when I say slight, that's extremely, you know, that, that word is not even close to being accurate. Um, uh, an issue with the pens, whereas a part of the polishing process caused the tip of the pen to deform slightly, just enough to where the refill would not protrude out far enough to write. That's a problem when you have a retractable pen. <laughs> so, I think the whole yeah. retraction thing stops working. <laughs> I've <laughs> actually forgot about this. I'm glad you brought yeah. this up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you forgot about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I lost my mind for about 15 minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I jumped, literally ran to the desk, sat down, wrote out an update, and came up with an emergency system in which anybody on Kickstarter, as soon as they received their pen, because not all of them were going to be bad, uh, because it was it was the way we polish stuff, it depends on how much force somebody put on the pen while they were doing it. Some of them were perfectly fine. So we established a kind of a recall where they would let us know we would send out a pen with a, a return label and a box, and they would just swap it and send it right back. And those who were our international backers, they just got a pen because it was there was no way we could afford to do the shipping to and from because shipping is insanely expensive. So we just did the recall and then people would some people didn't even open them. They just sent them right back. And then we checked everything and we fixed them all and uh, moved forward and implemented a procedure so that that would not happen again when we made the next batch. But. Yeah, that was terrifying. Um, and then the other one was the ink. Well, the ink was was crazy because it was a brand new um, product for us. The, the The clips were different. The you know the construction was you know it's it's similar. It's all machining, but we had just moved and it threw a huge wrench in the works because we had to interrupt any production we had and physically move an entire shop and then try to get up and running and get everything going again. And we had a machine uh, break on us for a brief period. We had just different pitfalls here and there. We had some issues with the design that we had to tweak so they would, they would be machinable, but, and people, that was our, our longest delay in, in fulfilling rewards was the ink. And that's stressful because you, you want to get it in someone's hand and not have them waiting because you've had their funds and um, they're just basically looking to you for an update as to when the rewards are going to ship out. And so that's stressful because some people get agitated and, um, you know, get, get angry or get upset. So those two things were, were about tied. Yeah. So you said, you said two things there that were very, important i think number one with the retract you were fast i mean your response like within you started figuring out that there's going to be some people start reporting issues and i think you know you acknowledge that like really really early on and then i think within less than 24 hours you had a whole system in place to resolve any of those issues yeah um and then secondly and I'll, I'll let you talk about both of them, both things if you want. The um, just the communication aspect 
Um, just, you know, getting out there, not just the quick response, but like communicating in full detail, you're not leaving anything out, you know, not sugarcoating anything. Um, you know, how important were those things to, to getting, getting these projects fulfilled and, you know, getting the customers, you know, on your, keeping the customers on your side? Well, it's a very important, and that's kind of how we operate you know, at, at work where, you know, everybody's pretty straightforward. You know, nobody's trying to tiptoe around everything. So it's kind of how we go about our, our business. But on Kickstarter, we decided early on that um, unless there was something that was very specific, like we wanted to have a coupon code just for our backers, you know, or something like that, we wouldn't do a, a backer only update because if somebody wants to find out about us, they, you know, Someone says, hey, check out Keras Customs, and they did a couple Kickstarter projects, and so they hop on Kickstarter, and they start looking at this project, and they go to the updates to see you know, how the, prog- the, the project progressed, and it's all hidden. That, it just kind of seemed weird. Mm-hmm. So we try to make as much of it transparent as possible, and even our screw-ups. I mean, we're not perfect. We're just a bunch of dudes... In a machine shop, you know, it's we're kind of an odd bunch. I'm a designer. We've got some machinists and some other guys working for us, and we make pens. And that's kind of an odd thing. And so there are, you know, mistakes that are going to be made and and things that are not going to work out as planned. And if you let people know, 90% of the time, you can diffuse any possible situation. You can just say, hey, this is how it is. This is what we're doing. You know, this is how we're solving the problem or or here's the latest progress. And people go, that's great. No problem. You know, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Yep. Thanks for the update. Yep. Uh, I, I think that's hugely, hugely important. And I agree with you 100 percent on the backer updates being public um, mm-hmm. unless there's I, there is a case where they should be private. Like if you're having uh, a backer specific code or download link. Right. Yes. You know, you may yes. want to have that f- just for your backers, but for all, you know, warts and all needs to be out there for the public to consume. And if you handle that right, which you do, and, um, you know, the the backers, you know, like you said, you know, 90, 99 percent, they understand, you know, as long as you're open and upfront. And if you're putting that and if you're telling your backers, hey, I'm putting this out to the public anyway, I'm not sending you some closed backer update that only you should read because I've screwed things up that, you know, you know, helps them understand more that, you know, you're really trying to be open and upfront with what's going on in this project because stuff happens (laughs) and some of it's bad. (laughs) And so, yeah, keeping all those things, you know, keeping all the people informed is hugely, hugely important. Yes. And well, and people, and like I said, there's some things about about Kickstarter that if you have a project that's really really successful uh, and you overfund, everyone just goes, "Man, they're rich. They should be able to, you know, get this stuff out the door super fast." And it's it's completely not the case. Yeah. Um. You know, it, it's like I equate it to you know, like making cookies or something. You know, especially for us. You know, to make cookies, you have to. You know, make your batter, you put it in the oven at 350 for, you know, 15 minutes, any less and it's wrong. Any, you know, so you can't speed up the process. So, you know, your goal is one batch of cookies. You meet that goal and 
you're, you're set and your estimated delivery date is for that one that one batch. But then if you overfund and you suddenly have to make, you know, 10 batches, you have 10 times the amount of work and the time frame stretches out that far. And um, it doesn't, you can't, doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much of anything you have. You really can't speed up the process. And, you know, people often, you know, have suggestions about, oh, maybe you should hire out some other shops or whatever, but it just, it can be more complicated. Any problem that you might have, it can just amplify it if you have somebody else trying to work on it for you. So to keep control of the situation and and to make things right, you kind of have to keep it in your own little bubble and and push forward. And if it takes a little bit of extra time, that's kind of kind of the price that's paid for an awesome product. Yeah, that's what we ran into, you know, with Knock, with you know all the money that we raised. You would think at some point, you know, well, just hire more help or you know bring in other people or add contractors or do all this, but you're just you're almost compounding the problem instead yeah. of solving the problem um, by bringing that in. So yeah, what you just do just kind of almost have to like isolate and just, you know, hunker down, work hard, work as hard as you can and, and just try to get them out. It's not going to, the money's not going to solve the problem of getting it out faster. That's for dang sure. Yeah. Well, you, you had the, the, a problem that we didn't have. Now, when we make our pens, there's a lot of handwork that goes into them, but we can set up with a CNC machine and a lot of the steps are automated. You had to, I mean, you guys had to sew everything. Somebody had mm-hmm. to physically, you know, sew each one of those, yeah. those items. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's extremely labor intensive. Yeah. And anything, you could anything just that, like switch the machine on and leave it all night or whatever. I mean, I, I assume it's not that simple, but like the idea is like Brad could only, Brad and Jeff could only make as many as they could make in the time that they had. Like and they right. couldn't they couldn't work through the night because they're human beings and it doesn't work like that. Yeah, and we actually uh, on some of the projects we started a night shift. Sure. And had guys coming in, you know, working till you know one or two in the morning, and then the next shift would come in at six o'clock in the morning and and keep going. I mean, there was machines that basically didn't turn off, and it's it's interesting because. You want to, you know, you could scale up and try to do all these different things, but then it kind of defeats the purpose of, of you know, you doing Kickstarter. I mean, you do you do Kickstarter to get something rolling into, to kind of build it into something. And if you just throw all that money and time and effort into just making sure that you get the rewards out faster, you could have some fallout afterwards and you know go out of business. Right. There, there are a lot of Kickstarter projects that are kind of one and done. I had a, oh, a design. Sure. I had a design friend who was interviewing another designer, and I won't mention the project, but it wasn't pen related. This guy had a project. It funded and seemed to do really well. And all said and done, he ended up putting three hundred dollars or so, three hundred to five hundred dollars of his own money into it just to ship them. And you've so seen that was, time and time again with, with oh, yeah. lots of projects. Yeah, and and there's there's a lot of things to running a successful Kickstarter project because it's it's a business and uh, product development is extremely complicated. And you know, my peers that I went to school with, it's not uncommon for a project to take three to four years to to reach completion, not even manufacturing, just you know, 
from the Kickstarter stage to, you know, ready to go, it takes years. And a lot of companies, including yours and, and, and other successful companies, they condense that way, way down. And people just kind of, you know, expect that you should be able to produce things very quickly, which in some cases you can, if, uh, you know, like if you're doing a book or a comic and the, and the bindery can make you a lot of them, um, you might be able to do that. But in other cases where, you know, like not you guys have to physically sew, it was like 10,000 cases or something. Yeah, it was like 6,000. Oh, yeah. Let's just say 10. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, if you planned it correctly, I mean, I, you guys also planned on being able to have some extra so that once you were done, your Kickstarter wasn't just for the sake of fulfilling Kickstarter. You actually could start a business and have some stock on hand. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's key. And I, I want to I want to elaborate on that a little bit more. Um, we have one more awesome sponsor we want to get to today, though, um, before okay. we continue, continue on this path. Uh, Mike, who is our last awesome friend for the day i'm not sure what i think about these guys to be honest um karis customs or something like that yes of course our friends at karis <laughs> customs uh who are part of this episode are sponsoring yeah. this episode too i don't think we planned that did we did we plan that no it, we were actually gonna i think we were gonna have down on last week okay yeah <laughs> um but you know these things happen. But this is kind yeah. of the perfect time, really. I mean, you're hearing about all this great stuff, and you're hearing about all the hard work that these guys over in Mesa, Arizona, put into their pens. All of these pens made in the United States of America, like the Bolt, the Retract, the Render K, and the Ink, which is a pen that I recently put in my top five. It's one that I'm actually using to take the notes of this show right now. I'll prove it to you. <laughs> wait, wait. There it is. Yep. I'm using the Retract. <laughs> We use these pens because we love them. We have Dan on the show because we love him and we love the work that he does. And I know that if you try out any of this stuff, if for some strange reason you don't already own a Karis Customs pen, you should change that. And if it, you know holiday season's coming up, or maybe you just want to treat yourself, buy one of the other pens in the Karis Customs range that you don't already own because they are all fantastic in their own beautiful ways. Go on over to Karis Customs because those lovely people are going to give you a fantastic discount. You can get 15%, a huge 15% of anything in their store when you use the code PENADDICT, or one word, before you check out. So you before you press the checkout button, you want to enter in the code and you'll see that lovely discount come off. This code is valid until the end of the year, so it's perfect for something now and it's perfect for the holiday season too. These guys are pen addicts just like us, as you can tell, because they're on this show. Thank you so much to Karis Customs for supporting this week's episode of The Pen Addict and Relay FM. Yeah, so let me brag on their latest Kickstarter, which is the Cube. If you have not seen this product, you need to run, not walk to Kickstarter and check it out. And I, w- I, want, to, I want to explain this in no uncertain terms. The way it is built i have one dan sent me one uh for review a a review sample uh number one i blew his mind by picking the blue finish and not the orange um i said i need some contrast you know so i can put my orange pins in the blue cube and that would look good but for people who don't understand just looking at pictures what this encompasses this is not a six walled pin holder 
it is a literal solid block of aluminum. I still don't really understand that. Like, <laughs> that is crazy to me. It's just like a big block of aluminium. Aluminium, it, how, Brad, you're saying how, it wrong, by the way. Yeah, aluminium. How much mm-hmm. does one cube weigh, Dan? One pound, 14 and a half ounces. <laughs> so almost a two pound block of aluminum with the holes cut out for your for the pins and the, with the Delrin sleeves in there to protect them from the aluminum. It's a solid block of aluminum, people. <laughs> it's not an empty, hollow block. It is... I basically described it, I think I was talking to Jeff, I described it as a shot put. That's what it feels <laughs> like. The, 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 the density of it is if you've ever picked up a shot put, that's what it feels like. This is one of the coolest things. So tell us... I know how it came about, like between the collaboration between you and Mike Dudek to actually make a pin holder. But how was the decision to get these huge, like you showed in the video, it's like this huge bar of aluminum. How do you even source that and cut that? And I'm still kind of mind blown with this whole thing, how this came about, because it's, you know, looking at it's one thing, but actually feeling it in person is a completely different experience. It's, it's all thanks to donuts. <laughs> if you watch the Kickstarter video, if you don't get that joke, um, no. Uh, so basically anything that we make on the, on, on the mill, most of our pens or all of our pens, I should say are made on the lathe where, which turns, you know, cylindrical type objects. The, the cube is made entirely uh, except for the inserts on a mill, which is basically like a router, like a wood router on steroids. Mm-hmm. And so we order a giant extruded bar of aluminum, cut it on a bandsaw. And, you know, this is after we come up with the idea, we design it, I send it to the machinists, they program it, set up the machines, fixture the machine as necessary. They put the the aluminum in the machine and they cut it. So, it takes two different machining operations to to complete it, um, just the cube part, and then we take it, make sure it's in good shape and meets our specs, and then we send it off for anodize to protect it, because otherwise it'll get all scratched up, which can look cool, but for this we want them to look nice. It's It's kind of, it's always satisfying, no matter how many times because I used to work in the shop, I used to load raw material into a machine, push start, and it would run, and then you come out with a finished part. Every single time, it's always awesome to see that stuff coming out of the machine in its final state when it just started out as a big hunk of metal. It's really cool. Yeah, this it. I don't want to slight this and say that it's like not as technically impressive as like putting together a whole pin and machining out a pin but it 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 is it it's it's that good of a product i'm i know i'm gushing over it but i've not i mean you sent me one for free let's be clear but i've backed it because i backed it before i even had it because this just kind of it, it's it blew my mind honestly just the uh quality of this and the style of it and then actually getting it on my desk i'm like oh my god this thing is awesome so <laughs> yeah y'all did y'all did a really good job on, on the cube so every everyone should uh 
definitely check that bad boy out. It's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was awesome, and it it really wouldn't have happened without Mike Dudek. That's the truth. He's Mike is a good guy. He is. Um, yeah, it was it was funny watching him in the video. I, I was I was thinking he like Mike didn't know quite what to expect out of these video guys, <laughs> but he did a he did a super good job. Y'all did a, a wonderful job on the video. But yeah, I'm glad uh, I'm glad y'all collaborated. Yeah, I mean it was mm-hmm. it was really cool because I, like I said, I use I eat lunch with him about once a week. I mean he's mm-hmm. he's pretty he's local, and so he'll he'll come up and. And we'll go get some food. His his favorite thing to get is empanadas, mm. and so, oh, um, I, I always give him a hard time about that. But he'll come up, and <laughs> I, I'd been bugging him about, you know, wanting to do a collaboration because I feel it's important to interact with outside, you know, people and designers and companies, just because I think it keeps things fresh. And so, uh, you know, he was on board, and so we sat down. Like the Kickstarter video talks about briefly, but we just kind of brainstormed some ideas and then we designed it in 3D. And um, the cool thing about you know working where I work is if we if we set aside time to make something that we want, we can do that rather quickly instead of you know like the three to four year cycle time that we talked about uh, for product development. We can do something rather quickly and make some prototypes and see if the public wants to be involved in that and that's what makes you know kickstarter a perfect outlet for somebody like us is sometimes it doesn't work like as evident mm-hmm. of our our two projects that didn't um some of the people in the chat room are saying that they they supported us on those um which is awesome but um it's it's interesting that we can just put out products and have people say, yes, we want these and then move forward. Cause I mean, we still sell render K's. They, they were the first thing that, that I designed. Um, and then we sold on that kind of scale. We made iPhone mm-hmm. cases and stuff, but they weren't as popular. The pens, the people tend to love them more than, than the, the phone cases and stuff. And it, it's awesome to see. I love it. So let's talk about our, uh, talk to our future entrepreneurs here that want to get started and doing a Kickstarter project. Doesn't have to be a pen. It could be anything that you're bringing to Kickstarter. So give me like two or three, like absolutely you must do this for a successful Kickstarter launch. What are your, what are, what are Dan's tips for launching a successful Kickstarter? First, you have to understand your audience. Uh, you have to have somebody to sell to, you know, you can't just, make something off the wall and crazy and expect it to to be successful uh i i used to work at, i was a patent illustrator and i worked in an intellectual property law firm and people would come in all the time with ideas and they were like we're gonna make a million bucks we're gonna make a million bucks but they were just crazy ideas and it's they would obsess over them you have to find someone to sell to and if there's nobody to to you know to want your product you're you're never going to make it. It's never going to happen. So, first and foremost, have a market. And second, understand that market. Don't jump into something and, you know, like I wouldn't try to jump into like women's hair care or something like that and expect to be able to 
just sell because I don't understand it. First of all, you know, I have nothing to do with that. And it's, it's kind of crazy to just say, Oh, well, these people have money. They're going to spend it. Well, if it's not good, they're not going to spend it. So you have to understand that market as well as, as know that they're there to support you. So now one of the biggest tips you gave me and I did not listen so Dan helped me out. <laughs> Dan helped me. I, I'm coming. I'm coming. Correct here. Dan helped out, us out a lot getting our Kickstarter project um, launched for Knock, and I greatly appreciate everything. And he told me one of the keys that you have to live and die by is not have too many options. Not have too many different backer levels, too many reward levels. Oh, yeah, you really not didn't ha- listen to that, did you? And I didn't listen. No. I felt, I felt, well, I want to provide these options for these different cases and colors. And, you know, once, you know, we funded, everything was successful, everything was fine. I was like, damn it. Dan was right. <laughs> we really <laughs> overdid it on the choices. And I thought that that's like, such a simple thing like to say, but to actually when you're building this out and putting it together, yeah, I'm going to throw this out there and I'm going to have this color and this option and that color and that option. And we're going to have all these different rewards and I'm going to make everybody happy. And you finish the project, it funds and you're like, holy crap, how am I going to, how am I going to do all these different things in the time frame that I've promised? And that, that's what bit us in the end. Um, the thing was, though, I I do think that whilst that was uh, later on, like after funding was a huge problem for you, I do think that it was one of the keys to your success because you had so many different yes. things people could buy. Agreed. And, and you had options. Like if you had one case, I don't think it would have been as successful because people, I think what people do- saw was they saw like, oh, I like this one, I like this one. And they're 20 bucks for the two. Why don't I just go for like 35 and get all of them or however much the money was? I think that that was actually made you overall more successful, but ended up causing you problems. Yeah. And no. um, it, it's it's just a hard decision to make. It's like, where do you stop? <laughs> yeah. No, I think you, you wouldn't have been as, as successful. And while it does complicate things tremendously on the back end, um, it it was better for your type of project to do that. Um, with us, we typically would offer something uh, in a more simplistic manner in the past, you know, a couple materials, you know, aluminum, brass, and copper. But with the ink, we decided to offer colors. And it, I can honestly tell you that when you have those kind of options, it's 10, it's 10 times easily, 10 times harder to mm-hmm. fulfill everything correctly. Because... I mean, you guys had pledges that had, you know, like what, seven or eight different items that were each uh, mm-hmm. a different color. Right. And so right. you you can't like you can't bulk package the things that we was nice with our early pen projects is if they had an aluminum pen, they were all aluminum, you know, colored pens. Right. And so you could box a hundred and fifty and then print out labels that and they were all the same weight. They were all identical. And then we could just, you know label every box and then go to town. But yeah, like you, uh, we, you said it best, like after we were talking, after we'd funded for us, every order is unique and that poses mm-hmm. problems. 
yeah. or, you know, delays and complicates yeah, it, things. It, it just makes it complicated and it just takes longer. Um, but I think in the end, people get more choice and it makes them a little happier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it requires a little bit more work and it's more frustrating on the, the creator's end. And uh, the same thing, you know, I'll just say it briefly is, you know, for stretch goals. Um, sometimes stretch goals make sense if you have, you know, a production minimum that you need to meet with another company and it can be cheaper, you know, Hey, we you need 10,000 units and then it'll make everything, you know, 10 cents cheaper. It saves you money, but doing stretch goals just for the sake of stretch goals just delays a project and makes it harder to fulfill and makes more mistakes. In my opinion, sometimes it makes sense, but a lot of times, uh, the stretch goal, I don't know where it even started on Kickstarter, but, uh, it can, it can hurt a project because people try to have all these extra expectations and then it just crashes down around them. Yeah. I'm actually anti stretch goal. Um, and that's something we should, you've, you've kind of led up to my, to my next, uh, next question. And uh, I'm going to give you, not that you haven't had the soapbox, um, (laughs) this whole episode, but I want to give you this specific soapbox to tell backers, what they need to know about projects and how they should act and what their expectations should be and what backers can do to help you as a creator be successful because you know, you're it's a partnership now once they've backed Mm -hmm. it and it's funded, y'all are in it together. So how can backers make your life easier? Um, there's a lot of people on Kickstarter who, who kind of get it. And by that, I mean, they realize this is a, this is an ongoing project and it's not reaching completion. So there's things you can do to help your a backer of any project. One is try not to make special requests. Um, we get people a lot of times they, they say, Hey, can you, could you modify this or do this? Which we, if we could, you know, it would be nice, but literally dozens of people almost, almost daily, they'll ask you questions and everybody wants a little bit, something special. And if we did that, it would, you know, the whole project would fall apart. So if if you have an idea or a suggestion, it doesn't hurt to maybe mention it in the comments or in a in a message to the creator, but don't expect or demand that they implement something because you think they should do it. Um, we you know, we put a lot of thought into our our projects, and you know sometimes people can be almost insulting when they you know almost demand certain things. And uh, for some projects, it, it, it can help. People have helped uh, people come up with a better solution to a problem in the past and things like that. But just be supportive and, and not so much demanding, which I don't want it to sound negative because backers do help out a lot, including helping other backers. People will ask questions in the comment section and, and some of the the people that are regulars will answer them or, or kind of run customer service for you, which helps mm-hmm, the creator – yeah, very helpful. So, yeah, just, you know, do as much as you can to support them. Uh, know your your shipping address. You know, if you plan on <laughs> give them an address that's like your your brother or your your neighbor or send it to your work or something because it's it's complicated. I mean, we send out the surveys and that's the information we get and we have to run with. So, um, know your address, uh, be nice to other backers and comments and just, mm-hmm. uh, enjoy the ride. And if you go in expecting to be supportive and to encouraging, 
that will make everything easier for everybody. And usually if, if the, the, the creator feels like everyone's behind them, they're going to give you more information and you are going to enjoy the process. So it's you get in what you put out of it or I said that backwards, right? Yeah. So just, just have fun. Kickstarter is there to support people and in, enjoy the show and don't, yes. don't take it too seriously. It, I mean, granted right. you did give money, but you know, it's not like you gave a kidney or something. You know? <laughs> and if, if you financially, if there's something comes up, then you really, you know, can't, you know, a lot of people will understand if you need to back out of the project or if you just want to pledge a dollar or, or whatever, just, just be there for the, the creators and they will, they will love you and support you back. Yeah. It's definitely a two way street. And, you know, we love getting all the feedback and the comments and everything from, you know, everyone, you know, and a lot of it's legitimate questions and things like that. So it's glad to be able to have that platform, like in the comments section, to be able to answer some of these questions publicly. And Kickstarter does you provide you some good tools. Like I was adding things to the FAQ several times through, through the thing and could point people, you know, to, to, to the right spots and, and things like that. Can I oh, say so. devil's advocate for a moment? Please. Sure. Because obviously you guys are uh, Kickstarter creators. Like, is it is it the responsibility of a backer to like to treat to treat it like that? Like, to to many people, they have purchased a product from you. Like that well, is their relationship with you. Yes and no. Um, uh, Kickstarter came out after a lot of problems, and they they emphasize that it's not a store. Yeah, if, I mean, I know if, that. I mean, but yes, I, I, yes. And, and people that read Kickstarter stuff know that. But do you think the average person backing a project on Kickstarter is in that mentality when they do it? Well, when you when you pledge, they, you know, it's just like anything else. They they try to present you that information, and it's and it's difficult to make sure that people understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can be frustrating. But in those situations, we try to, you know talk to those people and either inform them or make them happy in some way. Um, Sometimes that can be a refund, but the the important thing is, and is, is to, is to listen to what's going on because another big thing I'm sure Brad ran into is people will, you can turn off the notifications from your project creator. And so we will spend a lot of time, like we personally make videos and take photos and do updates and show the whole process. And then people will send us a message or comment and say, well, we haven't heard any news. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah. Or how about an update? I, don't know. I was like, yeah, we just we've sent five in the past month. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? And and so it's it's very much a two way street. And that's the problem with. Uh, with any interaction online is somebody. Um, either they don't understand what Kickstarter is and that's, I don't know how you can solve that problem because if you're using Kickstarter and someone goes on to Kickstarter and, you know, pledges for something. And that's why I think it's important in, in, in the language, um, everything's a pledge and everything's a reward. Nothing is, uh, it's not a store. I can't just buy it and make it for you. Because right. you're really just there to support the project and to get it to move forward. And I don't know how you would educate people short of, you know, forcing them to read something before they could pledge. Um, but uh, I think more and more people know about and My mom knows what Kickstarter is now. So yeah. 
mm-hmm. I think people understand it. Uh, I, I think that it's is a just, problem. It's important, but as you mentioned, Dan, like the way that you the way that you try and help those people is still important. Like, I don't think that it's right, and I don't think you were saying this at all. But like, I don't think it's right to say like, well, yeah, of course it's late, but like, what are you going to do about it? Like, this is this is a project right. we're trying to. Like, you, I don't think you can kind of have that like that attitude of what are you talking about? You know how this works, you know? Because I think right. that there is still like an inherent. Like for example, I appreciate if a project is late, right? Mm-hmm. But if I if I paid eighty dollars and the thing doesn't work out and I lose my money, I'm gonna be pretty upset about that. Yes, of course. Yeah. I would be too. And even though uh, like it's the same deal, right? It's like, well, mm-hmm. you supported the project. Unfortunately, the project didn't work out. And there's been like high profile like cases of this happening. Like mm-hmm. I'm yes. millions of dollars. Yeah. Like yes. I still expect something at the end of it. Even I mean it is really I've had projects that have been really late and it's fr- it is frustrating, but like I can kind of let it go cuz kind of my and my, my uh, philosophy and my mentality with Kickstarter is I like the thing, I'll put the money in, then I forget about it and wait for it to show up like a little present to me in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, or, yep. yeah, like, cause that I don't pay any attention to the ship date unless like I get a, an update and it's like we're hoping to ship soon. Then I'll check and be like, I wonder if they're on time or or whatever. Like, because I, then I just look, but I don't expect it within. I never, I never basically believe the ship date is what I'm saying, right? Because I, I, <clears throat> I think a lot of times it, it's like a crystal ball. Like people, you guys are just trying to expect, like, we believe we can get it done by this date. But then, like, I've seen, like, if a project becomes massively successful, then actually that tends to push the ship date out in a lot of instances and that sort of stuff. But so, like, you know, I, I, I expect a product at the end of it. I've never had a project personally that I've funded that I haven't received the goal, like I haven't received the reward. But I would be really upset if that was the case. I'd be really frustrated about that. And and that's kind of I think that's kind of what our success has has been indicated by. We have proven that we that we're not just a one and done. We are right. you know we're not we're not. There's other pen projects, you know the the Voldemort of uh, pen projects that you don't say their name, um, <laughs> that basically served up you know something that people did not expect. They they got something that they were they thought they were promised and they didn't get and we try to avoid that because we are trying to um, give people what they want and it's uh, it's a risk I mean unfortunately Kickstarter inherently is almost in the product design category uh, is can't is as a gamble mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's. The, the onus is almost on the backer to to kind of look at what they're what they're interested in instead of impulse buy. I I backed a product that I thought was interesting and is well over a year uh, past you know its estimated delivery date, and we received maybe two or three updates every six months or so, and. I I'm just waiting to see what happens, and I'm not angry. I mean, it would be be nice if it if it finished, but um, it kind of gives you know me an insight as to what other people struggle with and go through. But I'm I might be the wrong person to ask because I I have the background of product development, so I kind of understand the pitfalls. I mean, Brad, what what did you 
I mean, you've backed a lot of stuff, but have you ever had anything Mm -hmm. just kind of, you know, fall on the wayside and drift into Never Never Land? Not yet. I've been lucky in that aspect. And that's another thing from a backer's perspective. You got to do your homework. I, I am not going to rush in a project just to get an early bird from someone that I have questions about, you know, I, you have time to see how these things play out. You have time to research the companies behind it, you know, as much as you can, you have time to, um, you know, go through all the comments and see how the, the creators are answering, you know, their backers to see, you know, if they know, understand what's going on with their own project or not. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that are super, super telling about, um, about creators that you can glean from updates and projects and communication style and background and things like that. And just, you know, as a backer understanding, okay, maybe something doesn't add up here and maybe I shouldn't put my money into this. So it's, it's, you, you have to be careful from that aspect. So luckily I have not, um, backed a project that has not delivered. I've had some that have taken a year to deliver, like the Apollo pen, which I just got um, last week. I think it funded last December and it just came in last week and they're not even close to done yet. Um, there's going to be people that are going to be waiting until next year for part of that project. So, wow. you know, it's, it's a tough deal. It's a tough deal sometimes, but you know, backers, you know, you need to do your homework too. I mean, you know, we're fortunate to be, to have a, a public place to discuss things, you know, for our specific projects like the blog or the podcast and things like that. But for people you're not aware of, ask around, do your homework, read the comments section, read their updates, read the comments in their updates. I mean, there's all kinds of places you can, places you can get information from. So, all right, we're running long, but I got one more question, Dan, I want to get into um, that Drew Design asked in the, um, in the chat room that I think is a really good question. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to, do this this is specifically directed to you and Karis Customs. At okay. what point at what point do you abandon Kickstarter and launch a product old school? Make a first run and then sell them first comes first serve. From Karis like from Kara's perspective, would you is that an option ever to just, you know, make a project product, sell it on your site and go that route? Or do you feel like um uh, you're just like a Kickstarter pro now and that's the way we're gonna do it? Well, I can address that quickly so that we can end the show. Um, the uh, the advantage of doing of doing Kickstarter is two things. Kickstarter has a wide audience, and people looking for specific things like pens are already there. So that's that's kind of a no brainer to go from there. But anytime you do anything, I mean, like I said, we don't do just pens; we do other work, production work, and so we launch products on Kickstarter to see if there is a market like we have two failed things now if we had shut down production made what we thought would be a large you know an amount that would be useful to have on hand because we you know we have to pay someone to set it up to run it to do all these different things so it costs money um to even prototype we have to take paying work set it aside to do prototypes and this Mm -hmm. is with any company not, not just us so you have to pay to to even have a prototype before you can get to Kickstarter. So, and once you put it on Kickstarter, you can kind of gauge that public demand and that will allow you, i.e. kickstart the process Mm -hmm. to where you can start making them in production because it's very possible you make something that just nobody cares about. 
And at that point, I mean, that's how businesses go bankrupt. That's how businesses fail is you produce something that nobody wants, you know, and Mm -hmm. you, you put a big effort into it and then you fail. And so, I mean, people, I don't know what people think about Karis Customs. We're a tiny little shop. I mean, we're in, we're in Mesa, Arizona. We got ten dudes working there. I mean, mm-hmm. we we are small, and if if we took the gamble and put you know shut down production for you know weeks or uh, you know months, month and a half to to put out a large number of pens, that could potentially cause us to you know go out of business, just like mm-hmm. you know a bakery or or you know any other type of place, and so the the success of through Kickstarter has allowed us to grow our business and we probably would not be where we are without it. And so it's kind of a symbiotic relationship. And as you know, like with Notco, you, you, you probably could have used some of your clout with your blog, but we didn't, we had nothing. We -hmm. were just some guys in a, in a, in a machine shop making stuff. And so without it, we wouldn't be able to do new products or to do anything further. We just happen to have the luxury of Kickstarter to help us grow. That was a really good answer, Dan. Thanks. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, that, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, when you're a smaller shop, you know, every, everyone, all the create, all the Kickstarter creators are coming from a different place. You know, mm-hmm. it's a lot of it's small businesses like us, or like in, in my case, it was trying to launch a business. In your case, mm-hmm. it's trying to sustain a business and putting all your eggs in one basket to like shut down and make weeks worth of products and then throw them up on your site and hope, hope they sell. I mean, it's a crapshoot and yeah. Kickstarter at least allows you to have that, you know, the, you know, Kickstarter don't lie. You know, it's, yep. it's going to tell you whether your product's good or not. I mean, you're going to succeed or you're going to fail right there. And it's, it's certainly helpful for that. So I, I, that, yeah, that was uh very good. I, I, I appreciate the, that openness and, and honesty there. So that was, that was excellent. So, well, I, I think we could go for another hour easy just on Kickstarter stuff. But uh, this was really, really awesome, Dan. And I appreciate you coming on and, and talking about all this stuff. No, it's it's my pleasure, really. Where can people find your work, Mr. Bishop? That sounds weird. Mr. Bishop's my dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, they can find my work on... Um, KarisCustoms.com or, or or Instagram or anything else like that. And if they want to get a hold of me, they can hit us up through the contact page. Um, you can find some of my my personal shenanigans uh, um, through uh, DesignConcussion.com or through the same name on Instagram. There you go. If you'd like to catch up with myself and Brad, well, first off, go to the show notes for this week's episode, which you can find at relay.fm slash penaddict slash 129. My name is Mike Hurley. I am at imike on Twitter, I-M-Y-K-E. And Brad is at dowdyism, D-O-W-D-Y-I-S-M. And he writes the fantastic penaddict.com and sells his wares over at knock.co. That's my favorite. <laughs> that is my favorite uh, domain that you own for... 
for the site. So yep. it's the one that I like to use. Thank we'll you. be back next week with another episode of The Pan Addict. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, Linda, Hover, and Karis Customs. And thank you to Dan from Karis Customs for joining us. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Brad and Dan. Goodbye, Brad, goodbye, and, Dan. Brad and Dan. <laughs>